What is up, Project Church? There's an energy in here this morning. Can you feel it? I don't know if it was the kids up here worshiping with us or what, but I like it. Just keep the energy going, okay? Good morning, and if you're a guest here this morning, you're visiting us, I just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for choosing to be here with us this morning. My name is Jason. I get the honor of being one of the pastors around here. And this morning, we are ending out, closing out, wrapping up our Identity Theft series. How many of you guys have enjoyed this the series so far? It's been awesome. Man, I've got a lot out of it. It's been, one of, I think, one of our, great, our greater series, honestly. And what the whole premise is behind it is the tagline, taking back the you that's been taken from you. It's really about us as believers and Christians, uh, we grab onto things that the culture gives us and tells us that we should be like this, we should act like that, we should behave this way. We, it gives us almost these mindsets that we pick up along the way and God is saying, no, you need to lay those things down so you can pick up all that I have for you. We need to find our identity in Christ, bottom line. We don't find who we truly are until we find our identity in Christ. He gives us our personality we find our true identity in him. And so that's the whole series has been about that. It's been awesome. You can uh, watch any of the uh, previous messages online on projectsacramento.com. I'd encourage you to go through. And if you're just new and joining us, you can catch up. We got a slide. I think we can see what we've kind of been talking about. Uh, letting go of our feelings of inadequacy. Letting go of our need for control. Letting go of our longing for approval. Letting go of our right to be offended. Letting go of our fear of failure, and today we're going to be talking about letting go of our earthly inheritance. And I titled this message, Laying Down Our Priority for Possessions. If you're taking notes, write that down. Laying down our priority for possessions. I don't think there could be a more timely message than this one. As Americans, we live in one of the most consumer-driven societies in the entire world. How many of you have seen that? You would agree with that. You'd be like, yeah, that, that, that looks like it's true. Uh, we do consume a lot. And this is pervasive throughout our culture and our society. And it's just become to be normal. And in a book written by James Roberts titled Shiny Objects, Why We Spend Money We Don't Have in Search of Happiness We Can't Buy. This is what he says. He documents our prevailing uh, consumer culture that more is never enough and that happiness can be purchased at the mall, online, or from a catalog, aka or Amazon. Robert says, money and the accumulation of it, material possessions, are such an integral part of our consumer culture that few have stopped to think how this mad material dash has impacted their quality life. He also addresses how our obsession with possessions impacts our sense of self, the quality of interactions that we have with others, our willingness to get involved in community affairs and social issues. Lastly, he says that some 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. The average American household carries $10,000 in credit card debt. And yet we throw away 150 million cell phones each year and spend over $41 billion on our pets that's just Land Park alone. <laughs> the numbers are astronomical. Look, there is no denying that we live in an extremely consumer-driven culture, don't we? 
And it didn't even take a biblical worldview from this author to see that and write an entire book about it and to express all the dangers of it. So it raises the question, why is this? Why is this? Why is this such a pervasive desire in our society to consume as much as, as, much as we can and at whatever means possible? As much as we can just take our credit card and we'll charge it if we don't have the money for it. So you have people living way above and beyond their means so they could keep up with the status quo. And this is just, this is just normal. And this is not exempt from the church. It's in the church as well. It's right here. We all struggle with this. I had a really hard time preparing this week. And if you see my closet, you would know why. I mean, I wrestled with God. And God highlighted all of these things where he's like, whoa, you, you, you can improve here. And, and so if I'm preaching to anybody this morning, I am preaching to me. But I feel like there is more than just myself that can hear and use this message this morning. Because this is just normal. This is just the way that we live. And no one stops to question it and to wonder, is this okay? How is this affecting us? And that's what I want to do this morning. Look, guys, I'm no, I'm no stranger, okay, to the lure of materialism and to the attraction that comes from buying things and who doesn't get some sort of satisfaction when you click that little buy it now with one click button? It's like one click on your doorstep. <laughs> click it, knock, knock on your door. It's like it's that fast. I mean, you could click it today and you could have it in two hours from now for some of the items. It's, it's, it's crazy. And so there is definitely a lure and a temptation there if our satisfaction is not in something else. If our satisfaction is not in Christ, this can be very dangerous. And they begin to shape us and become part of our identity, the things that we purchase. There is an illusion that each purchase promises to be life-giving and to give us satisfaction and contentment that it can never deliver. I was at a car wash yesterday and a buddy pulled up and we sat and we started talking. He's a business owner. And we just got on this subject without him even knowing that I was preaching. Maybe I was prepping and so I kind of steered the, the conversation that direction. But he says, you know what? He says, there are so many times that I buy something and I am angry afterwards. He said, I'm angry at the product that I purchased. And I said, you know what that, why that is? I'm actually speaking about this tomorrow is that it promises to deliver something that it cannot ever deliver. And we think that it's going to, and when it doesn't, we get angry because we're looking in the wrong place. The consumerism is so pervasive that we now identify ourselves with the brands and the products that we consume. I'm the type of person that has this phone. You know, you've got these iPhone and Android wars, right? I'm an iPhone user. I got an iPhone. Android's out. You're gone. Stupid. What's wrong with you? You're an idiot. You're out of my circle. Or the cars that we have or the, 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 the brands that we wear, the clothes that we wear, the type of person, all this stuff. It's like we are identified with, by the brands that we 
purchase and by the products that we consume. That, this is normal culture. This is where we're headed. And it's no reason why you see a person who has a nice car, they're in a Mercedes, and the guy's wearing a suit, and you would begin to think this person is very successful. And that pro- person probably wants you to know that they're very successful or to think that they're very successful. So they have this type of car and this brand of clothing, all this, and, and this, is, this is the trap that we fall into. When the feeling fades and the promise is not delivered, we are on to the next thing, the latest version, iPhone 8, in search for the deep satisfaction and contentment that we were created for that can only be found in Christ. It's a vicious cycle. And there's nothing, I, there's nothing wrong with these things unless we are pursuing them for satisfaction and contentment that only Christ can give us. When we pursue anything outside of Christ for our joy, it's called idolatry. And it's dangerous and it's serious. And God is warning us. And we're going to be able to hear how Jesus warns us because he knows what's best for us. He's saying it's not there. It's not there. It's right here. I have everything that you need. Come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus had a lot to say about this issue. In fact, when it comes to money and possessions, he wrote more about them than heaven and hell combined. And I'm going to breeze through about 10 verses, and I want you to just hear the theme. These are all Jesus' words and him talking about money and possessions and, and, and the dangers of them and giving us much wisdom on how they should be used. So listen, he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Woe to you, rich, for you have received your consolation. Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. A person's life does not consist in the possessions that he has. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Sell your possessions and give alms. Provide yourselves with purses in heaven." Ladies, Luke, Luke 12, 33, write it down. <laughs> Zacchaeus said to the Lord, a couple more, Behold, Lord, the half of my, gods, my goods I give to the poor. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. But God said to the man who built even bigger barns, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Last one, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head, come and follow me. Over and over, Jesus is relentless in his radical call for us to be a generous, kingdom-minded, heavenly-focused, open-handed lifestyle. This is what he calls us to do, and this is where we find that which is truly life, guys. So I presented the problem. We know the issue. It's 
pervasive and it's an epidemic in the society that we live in. So what do we do? How do we live our lives now in such a way that we lay up treasures in heaven and not here on earth? How do we ignore the pursuit of possessions and pursue the storing up of our treasure in heaven? Paul gives us a very practical starting point, like he always does. And what I think is a solid foundation for how we can do this. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your version app, um, open it up. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. It'll be on the screen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you offer us, for all that you are for us, for all the joy and contentment and deep satisfaction that only you can provide. Lord, I pray right now that you begin to open the hearts of everyone in this room so that they would be able to hear what it is that you have for them this morning. God, I have nothing of value to say unless your spirit is behind it and it is grounded and founded on your word. So Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us this morning Lighten our path through your word and change us, God, from the inside out. We want to leave here different than when we walked in. Do it now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so in this verse, Paul is talking to us. The natural tendency to hear as for the rich in this present age is to say, no, that's not me. That's what I said. I'm like, that's not me, God. I'm not rich, I don't have millions, I'm not a billionaire, but the thing about it is that I read this statistic this week that if you have enough money to purchase three meals a day for three weeks, you're in the top 15 percentile richest people in the world. So we are all rich this morning. Many of us who live in America with all that we have, we are richly blessed Paul is talking to us in this scripture. And the quicker that we can open our hearts and accept that, the quicker God can come in and transform and do his work. Amen? So when we look at the passage, we see that Paul is clearly giving us some steps to move towards a different kind of living, which I believe has the power this morning to set many of us free. Let's look at them step by step. Four steps to finding freedom from earthly possessions. Step number one, stay humble. What's that song? Sit down. Stay humble. A lot of wisdom in that song. Probably a friend of Paul. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, change them not to be haughty. That word haughty, we don't hear that anymore. Hey, this guy's kind of haughty. He's got a little haughty. We don't hear this word, right? The word just means arrogant or, or superior or disdainful. That's the definition. Paul is simply saying, hey, rich people, do not be stuck up. 
Don't be conceited. Don't act superior. Think that you're better than anyone else. There is a sinful temptation, I believe, for us to compare ourselves to one another and to feel this sense of superiority when we see that they are not as successful as us, maybe they're not as educated as we are, maybe they're not as talented or as gifted as we are, and pride slips into our hearts and keeps us from allowing to feel compassionate, allowing us to feel empathy towards others, towards others. It robs us from that ability to feel sorrow for those that are suffering, for those that are in need and hurting. This is why Jesus gave such a stern warning to those that are rich when he said, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus knew that riches and prosperity and wealth make it extremely difficult to maintain the heart of compassion and empathy towards those who are hurting and need. The natural tendency for us, church, hear me, the natural tendency is to drift the other way, is to go the opposite direction, to become proud and disconnected from the realities of the average person. So Paul is telling us, don't be haughty, don't be arrogant, maintain a spirit of humility. In Psalm 24, verse one, tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's funny thing to be an arrogant over something you don't own. It's funny to be arrogant over something you don't own. Imagine this, guy pulls up, passenger seat, Lamborghini. He's at the stoplight, and the passenger looks over at the guy next to him, the car next to him, and he says, that's right, Lambo. You wanna race? I will smoke you. I mean, we will smoke you. This, that would be ridiculous, right? I don't know why I got that illustration. Maybe because I'm a guy, I don't know. But I'm thinking like, for someone to act arrogant over something that they don't own, everything that we own, we don't own. Our car, our house, our money, our career, our giftings and our talents, they are all his. Everything that we have, everything that we are is given to us to be used to give God glory and to make Jesus look great. Jesus allows us to have what we have. The only reason why we have money in our account because Jesus allows it to be there. And the sooner that we realize that everything that we have is his, the quicker we can be released to live the life that Jesus is actually calling us to live, to be stewards. We are caretakers taking care of someone else's crop and we are tending the fields and he gets the harvest it's not ours c.s lewis said this regarding our possessions specifically our homes this is what he says about our house the secret to genuinely delighting in one's own house is through sacrifice it's through a certain crucifixion of the self's relationship to it we sacrifice our house we release our grip on it and then it becomes an object of joy. When it comes to possessions, true delight is found on the other side of disinterest. I love that. It's found on the other side of disinterest. The moment we have disinterest in the possessions that we have, 
The moment we live more open-handed with the things that we own and we use them to glorify God, the sooner we can actually find joy in them. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. We sacrifice all that we have to serve him. No boasting, no arrogance, walking in humility, it's all his. Step two, step two for finding freedom is put your hope in your source, not your stash. Put your hope in your source, not your stash. Verse 17 tells us what that means. It says, nor to set their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. How easy would it be for everything that we have today to be gone tomorrow? Look at Sonoma County in Napa, which just happened, the tragedy um, the last couple weeks. People lost everything with only enough time to leave with the clothes on their clothes on their back and that was it i mean the fire was coming so fast jumping houses so quick there was no time to grab anything and these people lost everything and i had a guy in our our job site this week he came out to trim some trees he owns a, a tree trimming service and he's been working in napa actually the last couple of weeks taking trees down delimbing trees all this type of stuff because um, a lot of the trees are dead now and are actually dangerous. So what he's done is he's gone out and he's working there quite a bit. And one of the stories that he told me about a particular house stood out to me. He says, I pull up to this house and I see that everything is just gone. All the vehicles completely melted down to the frame. But what he saw was just frame after frame after frame. And he starts talking to the homeowner. He starts describing what he lost. And he says, oh yeah, over there, that was my motorhome. Over there, that was my Mustang, 65 Mustang, 54 MGTD, for those of you that knows what an MG is. All of these collector cars, he completely lost. Everything gone overnight. What was priceless to this man was completely gone in an instant. How quickly could this be us? Nothing we own, nothing in our bank account, nothing in our 401k ultimately is certain, is it? Look at 2008, the crash, right? The market fell out, business closed down. It was, it was, it was crazy, it was chaos. There was thousands of business that closed down because they could not make it through. And the company I was working for, construction company, was one of them. Multi-million dollar company, very successful, overnight, no work, nothing, not a single job on the books. And when you don't have enough cash flow or you don't have enough money in the bank, you can't survive. One year later, the owner was collecting unemployment. Just like that. How humbling. Seemed like overnight and everything was gone. This is why we put our hope in our source and not in our stash. We put our hope in God and all that he is and all that he has promised we put our hope in something so rock solid that no matter what comes, whether it be wind and waves from seasons of uncertainty or if it be seasons of blessing where generosity is flowing our way, we will be immovable, steadfast, hanging on to every word that God has spoken over us. Our hope is in the source of all things, namely God, so we can have no need to be anxious, no reason to worry about what we need. Look at the second part of verse 17. You still with me? Look at the second part of verse 17. It says, he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
God loves when we take enjoyment in what he has given us. We do not serve a joyless, angry God. We serve a God that delights in our enjoyment in things, the things that he's created, our possessions. He delights when we enjoy them. He is our provider, and oh, how he richly provides us all that we need when we love him, when we trust him, when we put our faith in him, he meets all of our needs. And if you notice the end of verse 17, it says that he provides us with everything to enjoy. God loves when we enjoy all that he gives. But if there are so many warnings and so many stop signs given to us by Jesus in regards to this, there must be, I believe, a way to enjoy them that is God-honoring and a way to enjoy them that is not God-honoring. And you can see the connection. Paul gives it to us in verse 18. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Which leads me to point three. Be eagerly generous, church. Be eagerly generous. Can you imagine a church full of people that was on the edge of their seat just waiting to be generous? just waiting to give, just waiting to meet a need. I truly believe that God has no problem prospering you. That God has no issue with making some of you wealthy and with you making your first million. No, he does not. Because if you can be trusted with little, you can be trusted with much. That's Luke 16, 10. But hear me, write this down. God prospers you not to raise your standard of living but to raise your standard of giving god prospers you not to raise your standard of living but to raise your standard of giving he does not prosper us with the intent for us to fill our garages with more stuff or to be able to eat at the nicest restaurants to have the biggest house and the nicest car it's just not nowhere in the bible i can't find it I've tried. Please be that God. That would be awesome. But he's not. He's created another way that's actually better. This is everywhere in scripture, and it's all connected to giving God all the glory for us to prove that our value and our worth and our affections are in him and nothing else. That our value that our affections, that our admirations are in him. That every day we choose to make God our joy and nothing else takes his place. And by doing that, we're giving God glory. That when he's our joy and his, our satisfaction, we're giving him the most glory. When we are happy in God, God looks really, really good. When we're happy in Jesus, we make him look really great. Be eagerly generous. It's almost as if we are on the constant lookout for the needs that need to be met. It just becomes a second nature. See a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. We are on the edge of our seat waiting and listening for a moment that we can be used by God to help provide for someone else. Let's be that kind of church. This is what God is calling us to Imagine the change that would take place in our city, in our workplace, in our family. If we live this way, this will change your life. 1 John 3, 17 through 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, 
yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The mark of God's love actively working and operating in the believer is the outward expression of our generosity. If God's love abides in us, generosity is naturally just going to flow through us. This is how we become more like Jesus. This is our connection to Jesus. The most generous person ever walked the face of this earth who laid his life down for us, in turn makes us the most generous people on earth who are eager to give everything all away, to give God glory. Let's be a church that doesn't allow our hearts to grow cold to those who are hurting and in need, but let's be a church that takes the shirt off our back and the shoes off our feet. Let's live recklessly selfless lives as missionaries in Sacramento with hearts set on fire for the broken, hearts that are full of compassion and grace for the lost and for the hurting. Let generosity and giving be the default of our lives and our attitudes. Let's be full of faith and expectant that through our giving and love for one another that Jesus' name would be made great and that we would lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. That would be kingdom-minded. That we would be kingdom-minded everywhere we go. That our eyes would be set on heaven. This is why Paul's ministry was so powerful. He knew that earth was not his home. His eyes were fixed on heaven, which has allowed him to even write stuff like this, which allowed him to be so freed up that even in a jail cell, he was worshiping and crying out and thanking God. I mean, how crazy is that? Paul in prison and in chains, worshiping how good his God is because his eyes were fixed on heaven and on eternity, which is right around the corner. It's just right there. We don't even know if we're promised tomorrow. I mean, it could be at our doorstep. And I don't mean to be morbid. This is, this is life. This is true. Those of you that have lost loved ones, you know that you're not promised tomorrow. So how are we living today? Step four to close. Step four, take hold of true life. Verse 19, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. All of these steps Paul gives us leads us to this place, to a place that we can find that which is truly life. The world is trying to sell us a counterfeit, a knockoff, a life that promises to deliver and to fulfill, but it's no wonder why there's only discontentment to be found there. As I begin to really think about this this week and the heart of this in my life as well, why my life is not so recklessly abandoned to the things of God every minute of every day. And I started to think about it, and you know why it is for us, especially in America, is because heaven seems so far away. There is an illusion that this is our home, and it's not. As believers, as Christians, this is not our home. We are just passing through. We get one chance this life sets us up for eternity. And eternity is a long, long time where joy will be ever increasing. 
Every day, joy will go up and up and it will never go down. There will be no lack, no pain, no suffering. We have been given a promise through the line of Abraham and through Christ that we are now heirs to the kingdom. Do you know that you have an inheritance? You know what you are an heir to, what your inheritance is? The entire world. Scripture, time and time again, Paul says it in, in, I believe, Romans 8 and also in Romans 4, that we are heirs to the world. Revelation 3 says that we will be seated in Christ's lap with a scepter in one hand and Christ in God's lap and we will be ruling and reigning. But it's like we just, we have no sight of that. I get it, it's hard, we're distracted. But when you get sight of that and you realize that, it changes your whole life. You let go of everything. And now you are counting every penny to make sure that it's used to glorify God. If I wrote you a check, Joel, if I wrote you a check for a million dollars right now, showed you the bank statement, the deposit, there's an account with a million dollars cash in it. And tomorrow morning, it is written in your name. Tomorrow morning, you can go down to the bank and cash that check and you have a million dollars. Would the rest of your day be different? Heck yes, it would. Someone just gave you a million dollars. That is nothing compared to what we have in heaven. That is nothing compared to our inheritance. We are heirs to the kingdom. In a very brief, short time, we will inherit the entire earth. It says that we own everything, everything. And yet we can get so consumed, I can get so consumed with things that have no eternal significance or impact whatsoever. The Bible says that we are and we become what we behold. What are you beholding this morning? Are you beholding Christ so you become more like him? Are we beholding the things of this world that makes us, I don't even know who we become, not ourselves, not who Christ created us to be. And so my plea for you this morning is that, man, you would have that kingdom mindset. That heaven would just be right here in your vision at all times. And that we would start living like heaven is right around the corner because it is. Where are we laying up our treasures? On earth or in heaven? Let's pray.